Hello and welcome once again to Wrestling Memories Then and Now on Pioneer 90.1 FM KSRQ, Thiefer Falls, Minnesota, and online to the masses. Yes, you can listen beyond the FM dial at radionorthland.org. And you know what? If you miss this episode live and in the moment, you're like, oh man, I, I came in halfway through it. I, I missed it. Oh, I'm never going to hear it again. Oh, come on now. We live in the digital era. Everything has a backup. You can check out uh, past episodes, including this episode after it's uh, said and done at radionorthland.org. We have well over seven years of wrestling memories, interviews, uh, some good stuff from some of uh, the legends of yesterday who aren't with us anymore, like Nick Bockwinkle, Billy Robinson, and uh, Dick Byer, just to name a few, with some of the uh, acts uh, of the last few years as well. Oh, we, we got you covered here at RadioNorthland.org. And if you want to listen to us live on your smartphone you can, and you get decent pickup, that you know that's always important. You can check us out via the TuneIn Radio app. Hi, I'm Glenn Baragat, flying solo, uh, my uh, co-host, The Grizzled Vet Mike McCurdy is out on assignment once again. Uh, man, I don't know where we're getting the money in the budget to keep him out on assignment. we got to get his butt back to work here uh, in upcoming editions of Wrestling Memories then and now. But you know what? It is, uh, you know, I, I'm not just going to sit here and, and talk to myself all for the next, uh, you know, hour you know so be it i can't do that you'd be bored to tears i've booked myself a main event guest and this gentleman he has had uh, such a, a great wrestling career that does you know a lot of people other than your fans might not be too in tuned into as far as his, but you definitely you got to go online go check out some of his stuff on youtube you could check him out he wrestled for me i first saw him in 1984 on winnipeg television with the awa and uh, he was wrestling he was a light heavyweight champion uh, off and on too he was also the AWA tag team champion up here in AWA country. We remember his run as a co-holder of the tag team championship of the AWA with gorgeous Jimmy Garvin. It was the night heard around the world, man. People people were shocked when those guys uh, took the titles from the Road Warriors. I remember being a kid in 1985 wondering, well, who was ever going to beat these guys? Well, we got our answer in 80, fall, fall of 85, uh, late, fall, late 1985 with uh, you know, my guest today and Jimmy Garvin. He has done a lot of stuff before that time as well. He had uh, really uh, the good fortune and the good timing of uh, coming up through the territories uh, in the uh, early to mid to late 1970s into the 1980s. By the time he retired, uh, the the, uh, the territories uh, were kind of becoming a thing of the past in the era of McMahon. It is such an honor to, to welcome. He's hold, held championships in Portland, AWA, and so many other places in between. He's also got a, you know, a link to pro wrestling uh, uh, through his beliefs beloved wife too so i mean this guy is pro wrestling through and through and he's also uh enjoying retirement down in the great state of florida it is a great honor to bring on mr electricity steve regal now i don't know if i could do it as good as rod trongard or roger kent but welcome to wrestling memories my friend well thank you glenn i'm glad to be here i love talking about my sport and i'm, I'm one of the fortunate ones I'll be 68 in a couple of weeks, and I'm one of the fortunate ones that are still alive because a lot of my buddies over the last 10 to 12 years, there's been over 150 guys that were wrestlers uh, die. I mean, it's just it's sad, but uh, it takes its toll. <laughs> well, yeah, definitely, and you're here still to uh, tell the tale, but you didn't really come out unscathed. I mean, injuries also happen. I mean, and you were definitely uh, oh God, yeah. a guy in your career that uh, I think you got out at the right time, but you definitely had suffered some injuries at that at that point. Oh, absolutely. And, uh, you know, my shoulders, back, neck, knees, everything gets uh, bumping, you know, up through all those years. But I was very fortunate to know when to quit. I quit at the age of 35 years and uh, 35 years old. And then I wrestled on again from like 87 through 91 with local promotions out of Indianapolis, where I was staying at the time. And 
you know, it, it helped because if I would have held on, like some of these guys, they get 50, 60 years old, they're trying to wrestle. Come on, man. That's a professional sport. That's like football and baseball and basketball. They don't, after 35, Tom Brady's the only one that's ever made it. You know what I mean? Oh, I absolutely loud and clear. I mean, and, and it's amazing that Tom is, you know, a, a, at that level at his age. I mean, considering um, when you look at the NFL and the bumps and bruises and stuff and the hits that oh, they've taken through the years. Through, good Lord, yes. I mean, that's just a sign of a, a, a true warrior in that sport. But, I mean, in pro wrestling, I, I, you guys don't have a whole, a, whole, a whole hell of a lot of padding back in the day. I mean, from the gear no. that you wore and from the stuff on the outside of the ring. I mean, there was times, I mean, even if you were the, the most well-trained, there was going to be that uh, potential for injury. And also from repetition, too, the, the body is taken through the gears with the slams and the simple stuff that really started yeah. to mount up for you. Yep, and and when that adrenaline is flowing, you don't feel it. But trust me, when you get to be sixty years old or older, you feel every little bump and and separated shoulder and blown out knee and hip uh, replacement that you've ever done. You feel it real hard. <laughs> Definitely. And it, did you think too? Also, having uh, someone you know, and you know, you're married to you in your longstanding marriage. It's gone for so many years, and that's a rarity in pro wrestling. But do you think having a wife who had already kind of dealt with the pro wrestling business through her father? I mean, to have some knowledge about that and seeing him go through uh, some of his stuff and knowing when to get out as well. That that also was able to uh, kind of help out in. The decision to get you to get out of the business before uh, you were, uh, you know, walking wounded at a very young age. Exactly, and and he was a great example. Uh, and Cindy knows the business; he was raised with it, you know, since a little, she's a little kid, and uh, she knew all about it. And you know, she just uh, kept telling me at about age thirty-four, she said, "Stephen, you need to get out. You need to get out now. You need to get out before you're crippled." <laughs> you know, so thank God I had her, and we've been married, like you say which is a rarity nowadays. It'll be 48 years on August 27th. Wow, that is uh, just awesome. I mean, I, I don't care. If we have a- one good year. hey hey you guys i mean i i love it i mean this is uh, again in the times we've lived in and the things that have progressed on since uh you know uh your her father's generation i mean divorce has become a more commonplace thing and uh, in the pro wrestling business uh given the the miles traveled and the places uh, the wrestlers went and the temptations that lie on the road i mean uh, the batting average for marriage is uh well below the mendoza line and that's just being honest that's the truth. That's the absolute truth. And I was very fortunate that my wife uh, knew uh, about the business and knew people. And, you know, I came home every night. I didn't, you know, I didn't abuse my privileges. And uh, when I was on the road, don't get me wrong, a lot of girls hit on you. But you know how that goes. But, you know, you got to realize that I got a wife and kids at home. And, and you know, they're more important to me than, uh, you know, a 15-minute fling on the road. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. It's kind of like the old song, uh, don't say hi like the spider to the fly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I want to talk a little bit. We'll, we'll go back, uh, take the trip in the old time machine. Uh, uh, I mean, I, I like I mentioned before, uh, you know, before we go back even further into the beginning and the origins of your career, uh, one of the first times I, you know, I was, a, you know, I'm a, I'm a 43 year old guy. I'll, I'll give you my age all right out to write. But the one, my first uh, taste of wrestling were uh, through the AWA living up here in northwestern Minnesota. And, uh, you know, one of the first times I got a chance to see you uh, wrestling, uh, it was uh, via the uh, AWA syndicated show that they had up in Winnipeg for so many years. I do believe, uh, I, I think Oakland might have still been involved, but I mean, I think that was one of the first times I really got to see you in, you, uh, in, a, in a ring. Oh, great. Yeah, I remember those years. Uh, uh, Vern and Greg were great. Vern was one of the top promoters. There was a lot of promotions around the country that had great guys in. Don't get me wrong, great promoters and, and fair promoters, you know what I mean? 
And it's just, it's, it's gone, you know, back in the late 80s, mid to late 80s, Vince took over the world, of course, as a dictator almost in the wrestling business. But you can't fault him. He had the money to do it, and he offered everybody a decent amount of money to buy their territory and all that stuff. He did it the right way. But it just doesn't have the same ring to it that it had in the uh, 70s and 80s and even early 90s. You know, it just, to me, I, I watch it on TV a couple times, and I just, you know, everything looks like it's choreographed and rehearsed. It's not... Uh, it's not spur of the moment things, and uh, you know you don't have any uh, older guys that are you know like like a Nick Bockwinkle or uh, you know people that uh, you know really knew how to wrestle and, and get a crowd going. Well, yeah, and of course, uh, wrestling really uh, turned into a, a different product that uh, you know became more about the television as time moved on, and the and the big deals that Vince was able to take over uh, through the, his syndicated network, and of course, ending you know nowadays he's making billion dollar deals with with networks like Fox. But it was such a different deal because when you were uh, in full swing with your career, uh, and, you know, it was all about getting the people to the TV. So this was the television program was really more of of, of a promotional tool. To to get things going and one of the great things and I, and I think I, I love it and I miss it was uh, you know not only the action in the ring in the old TV studios or, or, or one of the local arenas in the Midwest uh, you know I was watching this AWA show but it was the uh, the market interviews I mean for you guys and uh, I, I've talked with Polish Joe Chubek who worked in the AWA in fact one of his first big job shooting uh, camera work for the AWA was the night that you and uh, Jimmy won the went over the Warriors uh, for the title but he, he was one of the fun guys because I, I, one of the things I always like to talk with them about is those days of uh, doing the interviews and the, the the recessions and all the different markets you guys had to hit because, man, that was the way you got people. You got butts in the arena. You got them on the seats. But, man, it, that became a lost art in this era of everything being so quick, you know, scripted and, and the you oh, know, it, I mean, back then, I mean, what did you guys get for, you got an amount of time you had to you know, hit the post on, but you also got bullet points. I mean, God, could you imagine, uh, you know, just reading from a script and, and, and just feeling some sort of, I don't know, some sterility of that? Yeah, I, I could not have done it. And it, it, it's got to be impromptu. And sometimes some of the guys are good at it. You know, I haven't watched it that much, to be honest with you. I don't like the product now that I see. And, I, and I'm 67 years old. It's it's a part of my history. It's like uh, World War II or whatever. It, it's history. But I had such a great time, and it was so much fun working your butt off on TV, on your interviews, in the ring, to get butts in the seats. I mean, there were so many times we're at the St. Paul Civic Center, and it sold out. We got 10,000 people in closed-circuit TV next door paying to see it. It was just incredible. You know, $500,000 gates. And that was back in the mid-'80s. That was, you know, a fantastic amount of money. And not even uh, uh, dig in what uh, Vince is doing with TV now, but at the time, that's what we did. We put butts in the seats, and we got paid for it, and Vernon paid very well, I will say that. And, you know, again, uh, people bring up, of course, the pay-per-view world, which kind of, in the closed-circuit stuff, a lot of people like to go to Starcade 83 as being one of the, a big point uh, as far as that uh, evolution towards uh, what became pay-per-view television and, and, and getting these uh, shows on a regular basis nowadays. But uh, AWA, like you mentioned, not unlike something they did in Madison Square Garden with the Felt Forum back in the day, yeah, AWA and even into local television markets, because I do remember hearing about, you know, one of their big Sunday shows put on local Twin Cities television. So I don't know if Vern really gets as much credit uh, or the, you know, in the AWA uh, because of, you know, star, the Starcades and the WrestleManias for uh, helping to get those avenues opened up, uh, baby steps, albeit, but uh, with, with some of that closed circuit. Yeah. And, you know, the problem with Vern was, and Greg saw it too, his son, Vern was still old school and he thought, you know, that they're never going to take us over, blah, 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 and this and that. 
And I think a lot of promoters had that kind of attitude. Of course, they were uh, multimillionaires, most of them, you know, and they didn't think, oh, they can't do that. They can't take over. And, and they did. And Vince was very smart and very cagey in doing that. And if I think if one or two promoters would have thought like Vince, like I think the NWA did for a while there in Charlotte, they kind of gave them a run for their money there with Ted Turner. But bottom line is, you know, the, the product uh, was changing and he wasn't uh, changing with the times. You know what I mean? I know exactly, and you know he. I mean, there was efforts that were made uh, when 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 Vince started towards national expansion, and I know you know full well because I mean you guys were in the trenches uh, when uh, Vern and uh, you know Jim Crockett got together for a while with a couple of other yep. promoters with the Pro Wrestling USA thing. But I mean, from what I can remember was, it, I mean, it came out so promising, but then you read so many horror stories because again, these were guys that still had the, of that mindset. That still thought, you know, you know, guess we're starting to fall away and we got to fight this guy. But they were not really yielding, you know, th- those old thoughts of the past and, and to try to evolve. And we take some of that knowledge and put it into a newer form. And a clear example was Vern and, and Greg, because, you know, you had to feel for Greg because Greg did actually make a lot of effort to uh, try to get Vern in that direction. And I bet you know full well about seeing some of that in progress. And I bet you know full well about your own frustrations and uh, Greg's frustrations, uh, just you know, watching this product where it could go so much further but then that's that old that old school mindset that sometimes works very well in certain situations but in this application it was really just bringing them towards an early uh, you know a slow death that would end up taking money millions and in, in time from from Vern and a lot of other people yeah it's true they just didn't they were like the dinosaur age and greg you're right greg knew it saw it coming and wanted to change and Vern was one of those guys he liked Dick the bruiser uh the guys out in uh, down in Watson, them guys, they they just thought, oh man, they're never gonna t- they're never gonna take over. We're gonna keep doing what we're doing. We'll we'll add a little few towns. We'll add a little TV, but they're not gonna do it. And, and they did. And I don't know to this day what happened as far as did anybody go broke through that era. I I don't know the figures, the promoters that well, or the you know their inside dope. But um, I'm sure there were some guys that lost some big bucks because they tried to you know battle it out till the end and been good money after bad you know and you were in the locker room too when when, when the defection started coming i mean for Vern. i mean you, you look around around the, towards the end of uh you know 83 oh, yeah. to 84 i mean good lord i mean there were shots fired with, with hulk but there was also i mean well, you have you remember full well because you were working with jesse but well when, when jesse eventually ended up leaving too so, right. so here's the thing first I, I i get up to the back up to the aw after memphis or so i forget what run i was on but I came back to AWA and Hulk Hogan and I were tag team partners. And then he went to Vince and then things go by. Jesse Ventura and I were partners and then he went to Vince and Jesse asked me at the time, he said, well, you want to go work for Vince? He says, you ought to go now. While well, you know, I said, Oh man, I had a home here. I got this and that. And I know New York is a, a very traveling territory. Fern would work us, you know, three or four nights a week and we'd have some time off. And I saw the schedule Jess was doing. I said, Holy crap, Jesse, you know, you're 24 seven and you're traveling and, you know, trying to get to the ring and perform. I said, I, I don't think I want to do that right now. And I didn't. And maybe I should have, who knows, but I did go in and work for Vince Farley by think back in 85, eight, I think it was 86. And just got a three month run there because, uh, I had parked my wife back in Indianapolis said, honey, it's, it's going to be over here pretty soon. So I'm going to go out on the road for the next six to nine months and put a bankroll together so we can buy a house and settle down. And that's what I did. And, you know, at the age of 35, 36, I said, yeah, that's it. You know, 
And you just said that goes. in that feeling in the back of your mind too that you you were gonna you know there was there was gonna be an end game for you to leave uh, to leave Vern because you're seeing everybody else sort of fade away. But you, you mean you're also uh, you, I mean again we go back to Vern trying to put something together. I mean again it wasn't like it was immediate like the house is just uh, the week after Hogan left dropped. It became a gradual process that I mean there was a yes. couple of good years, but you guys were starting to it started to show here again when you when you see guys leave and. And, and some people, in some cases, didn't work out their full commitment, didn't put their two weeks in because, you know, Vince, you know, allegedly was telling them, you know, I'll, I'll pay a little extra just to uh, drop out yep. all of a sudden. Yep. There was a few people that had integrity that, that decided, hey, we're going to ride it out. We're going to, you know, give them the two weeks or whatever it took. But there was other people yep. that, that left them cold. And it wasn't just, you know, guys that, you know, you know, were moving up the card. These were some established dudes that were saying, yeah, you know what, uh, Vince has given me this money. Yep, that's right. And, and you know, that's the business that money talks. And, you know, that's it's sad but true. And it's, it's a specialized business, as you well know. I mean, there's at that time, even when there were rampant promotions all across the country, you know, 10 or 15 promoters you could go to work for at any time, They uh, it was a very small club. I mean, you, you talk about pro football players, you probably got eh, maybe 1,500 guys total involved with the organization. You know, professional wrestling, you got at the most five, 600 guys that actually made a full-time living being a professional wrestler throughout the United States. I mean, it was a very limited sport, and it was hard to draw talent from, and it takes a while to get your seasoning and be a veteran. And once you get there, that's when you try and get the most money as you can out of promoters because you see in, in the future and say, hey, I could separate a show, I could get hurt bad, I could do blah, 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 whatever, and not be able to work. So you had to save your money, you know. Well, then that that's the key. But then again, I mean, as easy easy as it that that seems, and as logical as that seems, uh, uh, that's that's again again again, it's like marriages that sometimes isn't the case again uh, for for that uh, succeeding. And there you hear so many stories of so many people that that stayed on too long or uh, yeah, uh, outspent yeah. their bucks. I mean, this goes down from the mid Carter all the way up to a guy like Ric Flair, who you I mean, we've seen that oh, well God, on display. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> it's a case. He's a, he's a rarity. That's for sure. <laughs> One of a kind. Yeah, yeah. They they broke the mold with uh with with Rick. Yeah. <laughs> and I hope he's doing well. I heard he had some bad health issues and some things go on. And I'm I know he's as old as I am. I know he's probably sixty eight, seventy years old. And I, I and he was such a great performer. But come on, Rick. You know you you gotta you know there's a time when you gotta stop. And I I guess he's doing okay. I think he's making a living or doing whatever he's doing. I have no idea, but. He'll always find a way to make some money, but man, he, as, as much as he made, he spent more than anybody I've ever seen in my life. I mean, <laughs> unbelievable. Did you ever uh, be able to be firsthand at some of those nights when, when, when you've been on, have you been on a card with Rick and you've done some other, you oh, know, God, the yes. after parties? I, I've, I've been out with him many, many times, him and Arn Anderson and a bunch of the guys when I was at work Charlotte there for a while in 85, 86. Oh my God. I mean, the guy would just, he closed the club down. Yeah. Oh, he was, he was very generous. And the life of the party and uh, all the girls were swarm around him. I mean, it was incredible. Yeah, and and again, this is one of those guys. Like when Rick would say that he, you know, and 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 you almost tend to believe him uh, when Rick said that he he would love to to wrestle all the way up till dying in the ring or being in the ring because it's just yep. it's just so much in his veins and his, it just he yep. can't he can't quit it, man. I think that's the ultimate addiction is that that pop. I think for for him and and, and I guess it would oh, get yeah. lonely to leave that all behind and and to say you know what we're gonna sh- you better shut this down you better go into retirement because some some people can right. ease into retirement and. 
enjoy it and love it and find themselves so fulfilled. But I just don't see Nate just sitting around. I just don't, and I don't think he can find that. He's finding it difficult. He's trying to make it make a go of it, but it just seems like he he can't just stop for him. No, it's, it's like me when I actually retired in ninety ninety one and actually was home. I went to work for General Motors. I needed to get a real job. So I had some experience in the car business and I had a friend that uh, worked at the automobile auctions and I did sales work for them for a while. And then I said, Hey, General Motors offered me a spot. I work for General Motors, you know, and uh, he, 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 there's nobody that can save up enough in a 10 year career to last you the rest of your life. You got a wife and two kids. There's no way I, you can't make enough money. And but, you, I did save a few bucks and be able to buy a home, but Rick, God bless him, he, he blew more money in a year than I made in five years. Yeah, that whole wine, women, and song, I think he took that to the extreme. The oh, he degree. certainly did. And, and trust me, he, he spent the money. I mean, he really did. But, uh, you know, uh, I, I love the guy, you know, and I, I hope he lives to be 90, 100 years old. And I hope all the guys do because we all went through a special thing. Nobody can say uh, that they did what we did, you know, and it was, it was grinding at times. It was the most fun life you could have at times. And it was one of the most loneliest lives you could have at a time. I mean, it, the whole spectrum, it was just, uh, and to get out there in front of that crowd and be able to raise your hand and get a response out of them. I mean, it's, it's incredible. The, the rush, you know, some people, there's a lot of people can't even do that. Can't even perform in front of a crowd. So it's a special gift. Oh yeah, it's a combination of uh, being a pro, being a, a first class athlete and being a rock star, and never being able to go off the road or for a very a short period of time. If you did get a chance, especially in those days of uh, you know when when you know the wrestling was just so so hot. I mean, I mean, you hear stories yeah. from WWF guys, and then you had a taste of that road life for a while uh, of guys you know the you know working twice a day oh, yeah. and, and and then yeah. moving them around to and the flying schedules that looked like somebody oh. was throwing a dart on a uh, you know and, and on a map or yeah. something and saying oh you go over here and we'll throw another dart and you go over there right it was crazy when i first my first week for vince i was at madison square garden on monday night tuesday i was in sacramento wednesday i was in phoenix thursday i was in salt lake friday and on on and on I, for like 31 days and i didn't have time to uh, hardly eat much less get to the gym and work out i was just traveling you know playing airport to cat to the motel to arena at the motel and it was just crazy and I knew it was like that, but at least he, he paid well enough that it, through that three to six month period that I worked for him, I could save enough money to go ahead and buy my house and, and settle down in another career. So, yeah, it was good for that. But, man, it was nuts. I mean, he was he, he is a driven man, that's for sure. Yeah, and he's still he's still going today. That's another one of those oh, God, with, with yeah. the battery until they go, man. Uh, and yeah. man, you know, and it, when I I like I just love talking. I mean, we we got so much of your career we can cover. I mean, we could talk all hours of the day. But I mean, this AWA thing we're getting kind of uh, right away off the shoot. I guess it's because I, I we have so many AWA fans up here listening that I, I just sure. wanted to get into asking questions about the AWA. And you know. We talked about, you know, the AWA teaming up for Pro Wrestling USA, and uh, there were some big shows. I mean, he did some, the, the promoters did some good stuff, like at the Meadowlands, and they did the Eastern oh, yeah. Invasion and all of that. I mean, those were some, uh, I mean, those cards, yeah. I mean, the Night of Champions 2 and a few other of these yeah. shows. I mean, they were going for, they were going for broke, it seemed like, it seemed like, because right out the gate, you guys were having some awesome shows. Yeah, and, and you know, I, I at, the, at that point in time, I knew we were, you know, trying to compete, of course, you know. But and like you say, we draw such big gates. But I think there were inner workings with the TV stations that Vince was doing on the side 
you know, I heard a story. He walked in with like 250 grand cash for the guy in, in St. Paul that runs our TV, that ran our AWA TV show and said, hey, I'll give you this. You put my show on. And the guy said, well, hell yes, because, you know, Vern, he was old school and said, oh, no, no, you can't, you know, you can't do that. We're paying you this and that. Well, I'll pay you this and that. Vince blew him out of the water. And that's how it happened, because Vince bought the TV shows when he first started. And then, of course, the revenue from the ads and so forth. He saw Vince was a visionary. He saw there was money in the advertising on TV and milked it to the highest because now they're rated one of the top 10 rated TV shows in the country. And that brings big, big big ad money mm-hmm. and that's the bottom line yeah and, and you know too i mean with the awa again you guys uh, ended up signing awa when you were there signed a deal with espn and right around that time was uh uh the fall and boy we're getting up to 34 years now on the the big super clash event so this was kind of the way uh they uh, these promoters were, were fighting off because i mean when you guys must have heard of when, when wrestlemania was going down i mean that had to make some sort of waves around the locker room as far as a curiosity oh God, yeah Sure, everybody, you know, everybody had their stories and what they wanted to go do and what they wouldn't do. But a lot of the guys didn't want to go work there because of the grind. It was such a grinding schedule, you know. I mean, when Vince Senior was alive, it was a little better. But when Junior took over and you know took over the world, I mean, it, it, you know, like I say, when you know, I worked for Vern and Greg in Minneapolis, and I my home base in, in Minneapolis, I was there. I would go on the road four times a week, but we had a private plane. We would fly to Salt Lake City and back on the same night. And then the next night we'd go to uh, somewhere in Wisconsin, Milwaukee maybe, and come back. So you always almost home every night, except maybe a two or three day loop out west. And you had a family life and you had a couple of days off to train and, and uh, you know, uh, get rest and so forth and so on. But that grind of every day, 24 7, it just, it, it, that's why so many guys died so young. I mean, jeez. Just, just burns them out. And you guys. Yeah, it does. And, and, I mean, 85, but the Super Clash show, I mean, uh, there's, uh, you can watch it on, I mean, I've watched it back in, you know, in the moment, uh, you know, on AWA ESPN television, but man, that was one of those, again, a big super card that uh, had everybody, it seemed like, under the sun. I mean, you can remember being on that event to, to see that, oh, that sure. th- there was a big attempt, again, I, I, we all knew where it went, but that was one of those things that made, made the business stand up a little bit and, and put the fists up and say, hey, Vince, you know, we got some talent too, and it was a quite the night out there in Chicago at Old Comiskey, I, I could about imagine competing and, and working in front of that crowd. Oh, it was great. I worked with Brad Ring as the Olympic guy, and God bless him, he was as stiff as a brick, but <laughs> anyway, we we had the crowd going in at Comiskey Park. I mean, come on, White Sox play. We had to play sold out. I mean, sold out the seats where they had right around the home base. You know, it's a baseball park, but we, and we had chairs on the ground, of course, and oh man, we had a great show, a great match, and, and we all got paid very well. And I was thinking in my mind, Geez, okay, maybe maybe these guys are smart. They're going to get together and, you know, about Vince. But then Vince went around with that suitcase full of cash, man, and, you know, money talks. Yeah, and, I mean, even having that ESPN deal, that must have been just a momentary, like, oh, a little bit of inspiration. But, I mean, again, when you have Vince, you know, running the game on this syndicated stuff, I mean, paying the right people the yep. right amount of money, man. I mean, when you, again, we get that offer for, for, for these, exactly. ta- you know, back in the day. It's gone past the days of the old bicycle tapes. Vince wanted to make it, uh, you know, where, you know, Georgia Championship had, had an advantage in and of itself in those days of satellite. Right, exactly. And that's what Vince saw and Vince. And like I say, he was a visionary, and his dad wouldn't let him. Vince Sr. would not have him do that because Vince wanted to do that before uh, Sr. died or got out of the business. Then as soon as Sr. gave it to him, 
then started poaching and doing what he could do. And I don't blame Vince for that. I don't think he's a bad guy because of that. I think he's a little bit greedy, a little bit narcissistic. But the bottom line is he's a great businessman. He's a multi-billionaire, and I'm not. You know what I mean? <laughs> he's like a, the modern-day P.T. Barnum. Uh, if P.T. Barnum was around, they'd call him a mogul. There you go. There you go. <laughs> People have talked about this uh, title change, and it's been bantied about for so many years. You know, you're going to have people that are going to, you know, the critics, because everybody, everything has a critic. You know, I don't care. I could go out mm. and say something, and somebody will have a comment for me. But this really, uh, I mean, I think it, it shook people up in the wrestling world because, uh, you know, the Road Warriors at the time were, were about on their way out of the AWA. And, you know, this was the unenviable task of putting the titles on a, on a team like the Warriors who have come up with this indestructibility uh, and these are big guys they can throw anybody around you saw what they did with even veterans like crusher and and, and the bruiser uh, during their run yeah. with the tag team titles but i mean when it came time this was like you know who would be the ones to to unseat these guys they wrestled everybody i mean there was the the long riders the Irwin brothers people thought that was going to be the team or or something like that but oh that night uh, man that faithful night uh, with the Freebirds and collusion jimmy garvin and mr electricity Steve that was man you talk about people say a lot about the AWA and say you know then there was a lot of things that were in the stone age but you know as far as getting some some pop and some getting some shock and awe uh, AWA oh. that was a that was out of their character I mean considering what it, was it going on the world. it shocked the world it, it shocked the world like Jesse said when he won the, his governorship it sho- I shocked the world and that's what it did because nobody would ever have thought Jimmy and I would be able to do that number one and number two the great thing was you got to remember the road warriors, Hawk and Animal, Joe and uh, Mike, God rest him, uh, his soul, Mike Hagstrand, uh, passed away. But they were, we were good friends with them. And they, you know, would not have done that for just anybody. You know what I'm saying? They had an ego uh, a mile high. And they would not have let anybody beat them but us. It, it just, we were in the right time at the right place that they were ready to leave and go on to, with their careers because they were hot as hell. And, you know, they wouldn't have dropped it to just anybody. You know what I mean? It, it, you know, it made the match. And I'll tell you what, we escaped out of the arena that night with barely our lives. The people were so hot that we beat the Road Warriors and screwed them with the Freebirds. It was unbelievable, the heat we had. So we did our jobs and walked out the door, tried to walk out the door, but had to fight the people off going back to the dressing room. But it was a good thing. And the Road Warriors were businessmen, so they were, they were wanting to, you know, go somewhere else and go on and make big money. So... God bless them. You know, and I think the way it was done, too, that, uh, I mean, it didn't leave them, you know, weak and, and, and have them going, I mean, by going out on their backs. I mean, just the, the story that was brought into the into the finish was was something that was also just very controversial, but it was something that gave you guys a little bit of wind in your sails because, I mean, I, and, and this is something that my, my other co-host, George Shire, a pro wrestling historian down there in the Twin Cities, was sitting ringside that night, and, uh, you know, he one of the things he says about you and, you and Jimmy's team was, you know, a lot of people slagged that 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 change that decision that was made by Vern but uh, you know what George is not one of them George uh, thought that that was the right thing to do at the time and has nothing but glowing things to say about uh, your tag team and, and, and where you guys went with it uh, and, and until you uh, you know handed over the titles to, to Kurt and Scott right yeah and that, that was a good thing it was and we were a team that would see Vern and I and Greg I tell, told him all I'm Jimmy and I were businessmen we're not in this for the ego. We're not in this for the press. We're not in this for the TV star. How much are you going to pay us? <laughs> that's all we were. And, and we were true professionals, and that's why they did that, because 
I don't care if the hawk slaps me 10 times and pins me in the middle of the ring. What are you going to pay me? You know what I mean? I what? mean, everybody, everybody knows it's a game work anyway, you know, and it's show business. It's entertainment. Yeah, and it's a very painful entertainment business. But if you're not ready to do business, how are you going to make any money? You've got to switch belts. You've got to change the program. You've got to uh, control the soap opera. You know what I mean? And it's all about working your way up the card, too. And you know full well about that because, I mean, you worked in the territories. Yeah. You came up. You started, uh, hell, you were putting the ring together before you were getting in the That's ring. Right. You were refereeing exactly right. and stuff. I mean, you know the way it goes, how you, you work your way in from that position, how you work your way up the card, how, you know, how you get into ter- one territory for a few months and maybe in a couple of years as you get seasoned up, you can come back and your money level will be exponentially higher Double. because of the seasoning. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it, and that's how you do it. And unless you're 350 pounds and, you know, or a pro football player or an Ernie Ladd or somebody like that, that's an instant draw. Because, hey, I don't care how big you are, if you don't know how to be in the ring and put get the people behind you or against you, you ain't going to draw a dime. I don't care how big you are. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm going to go back uh, to that night with the fabulous Freebirds. Now, this was another thing uh, because, you know, a few years prior in, in Memphis, uh, you and Jimmy Valiant and various partners uh, worked with a very young, uh, fabulous Freebirds team. Uh, I mean, Terry and Michael were just so young. I mean, especially the old, good old Terry. Oh, my God. I mean, how he got, yeah. got in the business so young, but just what it naturally was. But what was it like, I mean, a few years after? And because, I mean, you got to see those guys real young, and then you really got to see them at the height of their power. So, how much did you watch them uh, kind of evolve from the point that you saw them that first time and work with them in Menfo uh, to, to the AWA? Well, I knew that at that point in time, I knew that they were a special talent. That Michael Hayes is a, a genius. The kid was 17 and he stuck to his gun. He said, no, we got to play our song. We got to do this. Gotta do he wanted to be the Freebirds, him and Terry. And then Buddy came in later, which was a good addition too. But Terry and Michael were the first, and Handsome Jimmy and I went around the loop with them, you know, in the Memphis Territory. And, you know, Michael was a little green, and Terry Terry was, uh, you know, a little more polished. But the bottom line was they, they, the Freebirds drew money, and we drew money with them. And it was a great thing, and uh, I, I can't say enough about Terry Gordy's talent. And even Buddy Roberts later on back in AWA when they came through there and we were doing our thing, but that's how the business works. You, you cross paths with these guys. You have some uh, TV time with them. You have a couple of matches. You make some money. You go on to another territory, and here they come, and boom. Yeah, these guys are good. We can work with them. And that's how it goes. you got to have the seasoned guys in there that can be able to do that. And do you know that uh, just recently here, it's been the last uh, maybe a couple of years now, uh, Terry is one of Terry's, of course, his son, Ray, ended up working for for, for Vince for a while and did some stuff. But now uh, one of Terry's daughters, Miranda, is uh, starting to train and work uh, shows down in Texas. Oh, God bless her. Uh, good. I hope she does well. Yeah, yeah, it seems like she's really taken up the game, and it's it just such a, I mean, gosh, I mean, when you can go back and you just think about Terry Gordy, I mean, that's one of those guys, another on that list of, uh, what you say, well over 100 oh. guys that left so early, I mean, when you think oh, about God, how yeah. young he was in the business by the time he passed away, I mean, he lived, uh, what, other, you know, could have been three lifetimes for the average man, but it's just, it was just so sad because uh, Terry, I mean, can you imagine where he would be at today if he'd be in the ring or retired or in an advisory role? Oh, Jeez. Well, look at Michael Hayes. He's working as a booker or an agent for events because he knows the business. He did it. He knows what it takes, and uh, he's probably a pretty good eye on his talent, you know? 
Oh, uh, Michael all the way. I mean, good Lord. He, I mean, he's been with Vince for well over, what, since the mid to late 1990s. I mean, if you want a good yeah. mind, a guy that has that uh, territory mind, but also a guy that was young enough to roll with the changes and to modernize and to help modernize professional wrestling. I mean, albeit he probably wasn't, they weren't the first to have the music uh, running down the aisle, but they were the ones who perfected it and the ones that when you think about music and pro wrestling in the early days, you think about, you know, Freebird, and then they were the guys, I mean, you talk about the rock and wrestling thing, they went all, all in with Jimmy Papa down in Texas and did the Bad Street USA where they had their own video, and this was even before uh, they did uh, had their cup of coffee with Vince and you know if things would have worked out they could have been one of the forerunners with the rock and roll uh, you know rock wrestling connection that ended up with MTV oh. and David Wolf and all those guys absolutely and you know the thing was it, I was in Memphis Tennessee when they made their debut in Memphis Coliseum on a Monday night place was it was always sold out it was close to sell out whatever it is they were making their debut and I remember vaguely or vividly I was in the ring with uh, Jimmy Valiant, I think, at this time. And when they nah, maybe, maybe we were, maybe they had a prelim match. Bottom line was, they they started to play their music, the Free Birds, and it skipped and stopped. And Michael's in the back, he said, "Nope, start the music again." You know, <laughs> I mean, he was in control of the situation. And when that music hit and it started going, that was one of the first times that somebody had picked a song to go walk to the ring to. That was one of the very first times in the late seventies, early eighty, I forget, but. The people stood up and, wow, who's, I mean, it was electric, the, the music coming on. Hell, I was working against them and I was, I was getting tingles, you know what I mean? It was electrifying because the music of Freebird, that song, you know, it's a great song. Oh, for sure. I mean, gosh, I mean, when then sometimes they would play like the live version of Freebird to come out. So you got an even cooler version as well. So, I mean, you really couldn't go wrong. And then Bad Street USA was just, that was Michael getting to be the cock of the walk. And you knew he loved every oh, yeah. minute of it. Yeah, he was a great performer. Oh, Michael was a good guy, man. Oh, for He's sure. A good man. And I want to talk too about your partner Jimmy Garvin. I mean, when you two, I mean, the oh, when you guys got when best, you got when you guys ever. when you guys got put together, I I mean, it, you know, right away, you know, it may have seemed a little makeshift, but I mean, by the time you you guys got the titles, you were starting to formulate. You got you were starting to you were wearing them robes with Jimmy and and, and of course with Patty, uh, Precious, his wife. I mean, you guys really, uh, you could definitely tell that there was something good going on as far as your friendship because it seemed like once they put you together, you guys uh, for the time that you did hold the AWA titles I mean you guys became such a believable force in tag team you, you worked it in and I think that had a lot to do with the camaraderie you had both not only with Jimmy but you have to give a lot of credit for uh, you know also boosting Jimmy's profile Jimmy was a great wrestler but having you know Precious and before that Sunshine oh, the valet was angle perfect, was fantastic yeah. so talk about you know find those guys I mean just the chemistry I mean that I mean you guys had to have been just tight because it really did show and I'm watching your, the old stuff from the AWA from from, you know, the ESPN 85 days and late 85, 86 days, and I'm watching it again, and, I, and it, I'm definitely, it's shining through. Yeah, I, I, we, were, we were seasoned professionals, and we had all done our territory run, and we were, we were parking it with Byrne and hoping on him to make it, but uh, obviously he didn't. And Jimmy, I think he just, I, don't, I think he went back to Charlotte for a while. Uh, in fact, I went through there and, uh, myself for about three months working for Dusty before I went to Vince, but... Bottom line was, I thought, now oh, this is it, man. We're at the top. We're going to stay with Vern until I retire and make all kinds of money. Well, 
<laughs> you know what happened to that story. <laughs> and also, too, I, and I'm going to bring this up. Uh, I mean, it must have been uh, kind of cool as well to to see, you know, the way Jimmy and, and, and Patty were as a couple, another longstanding couple. That that must have been nice because you were having your own, uh, you know, monogamy going on as well. So, you know, that, there's another guy in the business uh, with, a, with a wife that it wasn't always about, uh, you know, behind the back dealings. It was uh, a, a marriage up front and in the business. Yeah, and that was great. It was good for Jimmy and Patty. It was good for me because when I was with them, you know, hell, I couldn't, even if I wanted to, if I did something, Patty would know it, you know what I mean? So, I mean, if I wanted to screw around or do something, I was under the microscope, you know? So it kept me, you know, straight arrow, and uh, it was uh, it was a great tag team. I, I, I wish, the only thing I wish is it would have lasted maybe another four or five years with Byrne that I could retire from him and not have to worry about working for Vince as a dictator almost in the promotions, but hey, say la vie, such is life. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And yeah, and I, I really thought that, uh, I mean, again, with the, if things would have worked out in a perfect idyllic world, I mean, the stuff that you guys were starting to do with, with Kurt and Scott, I think that that got cut a little bit short because, I mean, those are guys, again, too, you had a legacy guy like like Kurt, I mean, with, with his father, Larry, and, and, and Scott was coming up. He was trying to, he was starting to find his niche after, you know, working Central States and Crockett, too, under the Starship Coyote gimmick. So he was starting yeah, to... Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, those guys were, must have been... I mean, that must have been I mean, some great matches that must have really helped uh, keep your cardio up. Oh, you betcha. And I love the way we're turning. God bless him. There's another guy, you know, dead, you know, at 45 or whatever for a heart attack. I mean, geez, the guys died way too young, man. And it's the stress of the business, you know. And I, you know as well as I do, you know, people say steroids. and but, but, you know, guys did them. And I did a little cycle of them a little bit when I started. But... I saw, you know, you know, you bulk up 30 more pounds and, you know, you put stress on your heart, blah, blah, blah. So I didn't really do much of it. But the bottom line was some of those guys did it a lot. And, you know, that takes its toll on your body, that working every night and partying and doing what you're doing. It's a recipe for disaster. Randy Savage, I mean, just dropped out of a heart attack in his truck, you know, after he retired almost, you know, I mean. The stress and the strain of, you know, performing every night for years in a row just it takes its toll. You know, and it goes back to, uh, Steve, to, uh, again, it was like, you know, wrestling today, it seems like, you know, for all the good stuff, there seems to be so many out there. I mean, so many uh, people that never were properly trained and in the markets so wide open where you, you know, for your every WWE, AEW, TNA, there's so many other guys on these, you know, indies that do well, but then there's also these mud shows that are out there as Jim Cornette likes to prefer to them as, where it's just so much, there's not a lot of regulation where, you know, back then, having a spot was so important and it was something to be maintained. But nowadays it just seems, I mean, for all the good stuff, there's a lot of loosey goosey stuff. And I know you probably have heard about, you know, guys that are training other guys and you're wondering, well, who, who trained you? Well, that was Jim Smith. Uh, well, what did he ever do? Right. Well, he was on a, exactly. he was on a show once. Uh, he was on a car. Yeah. I mean, the credibility thing has really started to fall in the last couple of years again. And that really kind of puts a shadow over some of the people that are out there still legitimately training guys. And that's true. And, and I, I think back when I trained, my God, I got that crap beat out of me for a year. I didn't win a match. Didn't do it. I got that beat out of me for a year, a year and a half almost. And then I finally got to the point where, okay, this kid's going to stick and he's going to, he's, he's learned. He's not, you know, it takes a couple of years to get your season anyway. So, you know, that first time you walk out in front of a crowd and you're the opening match and you're going 15 minute time limit draw. You know, I'm scared to death, but I'm excited, and I'm thinking, oh, geez, you know, and you make some mistakes, and you learn as you go, and there's no other way to do it. You can't go in a barn somewhere and set up a ring and say, okay, I'm going to be a pro wrestler, 
and not have an athlete. I was trained by Jacques Goulet, Bobby Heenan, Big John Studd, uh, Wilbur Snyder. You know, I, I just had class guys around me, Pepper Gomez. And they beat the crap out of me to, to where, you know, you're going to appreciate the business and this is what can happen and this is what you do, blah, blah, blah. And then you go on the road and, and, and do it yourself. And it's not for the faint-hearted, that's for sure. No, no. And, you know, and even some of the guys that are there in the business, I mean, the second generation guys, some of those, it wasn't always an easy ride. I mean, for the Greg Ganyas and the Kurt Hennigs, I mean, you, you get stories, I mean, like David Sammartino. I mean, I mean, I've been reading in Bruno's yes. book how it, that really almost, it's, it's sacrificed to a degree the relationship that Bruno had uh, with, with David because David was, you know, again, fighting under a shadow. So, I mean, it's just so many yes. different variables that can make the pro wrestling business, uh, you know, a bit of a rough ride, even for those who had uh, something that would be perceived as a legacy. Exactly. It, it's not, it wasn't easy and I had a lot of fun and thank God. And thank God I got out when I did. I think if I would have tried to make it, you know, another year or two, I, I would have been permanently hurt, you know, I mean, to the point where I wouldn't be able to walk. And I'm 68. I can walk. I can walk to the beach. I can walk out of my, I'm, I'm sitting on my condo right now looking at the ocean. I'm in between the intercoastal uh, waterway and the, Atlantic Ocean, and I've got a 500-step walk either way. I can go see the sit on the water, and it's beautiful. And thank God, it's all possible because of my wrestling career. You know, I saved a few bucks and got some real estate investment stuff. And uh, you know, I'm sitting here at 68 years old. I'm retired on Social Security, and I valet cars three nights a week for cash money. You know. Yeah, you're doing all right, man. And, 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 you know, in recent years too, and something that's come up, I mean, uh, has been, uh, these, the emergence of these, these conventions, you know, when it used to be just, you know, we talk about conventions, it used to be the Star Trek stuff or, uh, some, some sci-fi thing, but the pro wrestling, uh, convention business in and of itself has really become something, uh, uh, you know, a presence in the business for, for guys that are, are out of the business have, have you been uh, involved there? When did you get involved uh, with some of the convention circuit? And what what is your your opinion of uh, some of these conventions? And because, I mean, they can be uh, profitable, but in some cases, I mean, I've seen some of the bills that uh, even you've been on. It's, it's almost like a big family reunion of sorts. It's kind of like where the old war buddies get together and, you know, exchange war stories. What has your experience been like, uh, you know, getting into that realm? You're uh, in your post-wrestling life uh, of doing the conventions. Well, funny you should mention that because I did do a couple of them and I was supposed to go to one in Charlotte, but I backed out and the money's good. You know, they give you a, a, a thousand bucks, pay for your airfare, your room, the whole nine yards. But, I, you know, I don't need that money, number one. Number two, I don't want to ever travel in an airplane again. I did a couple shows and the airplanes now, they got plastic bench seats. They're, they're not adjustable. You're packed in like a city bus. And it's not comfortable to fly where it used to be. You know, we used to fly a lot of first class, too, back in the 80s and early 90s. But the bottom line was it's to fly from here, from Fort Lauderdale to Newark, wherever it is, New York, or, no, Charlotte, and back and spend the night. I, I, I don't need it. You know what I mean? They'd have to pay me $5,000, and they're not going to do that. So, you know, I said, hey, thanks, but no thanks. You know, I, I'm relaxed down here in Florida. I got all the money I need or want. And, uh you know, I'm not, I ain't going to do it because it's such a hassle. You know, I, it brings me back to when I was flying every night for Vince, you know, and, and that grind, I just, I'm older now and wiser and just say, Hey, I don't need that. Yeah. A thousand bucks would be good, but 
you know, come on, that ain't going to make or break me. You know what I mean? Well, yeah. And at least, I mean, if you did decide if you wanted to do something, I mean, there's been plenty of these that have been popping up in Florida through the years now. I know a gentleman by the name of Barry Rose has been doing a lot of the Florida legend stuff too and wrestling legends uh, dinners and stuff where he's capped the amount of people that could be a part of it. So it gives that special element and it doesn't feel, again, like you're being bombarded and it doesn't feel like a drag, but oh, maybe one of those times uh, something could work with, your, with the drive where it won't be a burden on your time. Exactly, and 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 I'm I don't get me wrong. I love my business. I love my sport. I, I respect it. I, it's a great way to make a living, and very few people can say they did that. And the best thing is, very few people can say they ever beat the Road Warriors. <laughs> <laughs> Brother, you got that all in spades, man. You got that in spades. Uh, before we get to some of your contact information and, and wrap up the interview, I have to ask because I, I, I grew up watching the AWA and uh, some of my memories don't always, not, not only involved uh, the wrestlers in the ring, but a character, and I had to believe this guy was, uh, he didn't just flip the off switch when he, he, he seemed like, and I've heard from others what a character he was. He wasn't a wrestler, but he was kind of the troubleshooter on the television. Do you have any memories of Wally Carbo? Oh, Wally Carbo. God, what a great guy. He was uh, what, not a ladies' man, I guess you'd say, but, I mean, he loved women. I mean, he, Wally just had girlfriends all over the place. And, of course, he's fairly wealthy, and <laughs> fairly wealthy, I'd say. But he was an old, irascible guy. But you know what? If he liked you, he, you were good. And he liked me, and he liked my style, and, you know, he... he he was probably one of the greatest uh, minds in the wrestling business and the entertainment business. I mean, the guy made a fortune, you know? I mean, he just, uh, unbelievable guy, yeah. Yeah, and uh, I mean, uh, there was a book uh, that another guy, another character that you worked with too had put out that was talking about some of uh, Wally's uh, adventures and how much fun he had in yes. Winnipeg. <laughs> was Larry <Yes>. Nelson. <laughs> oh, yeah, Larry. God bless him. He, he had fun too, and he was a good guy. He was a younger. When he came in, he... He was good for the business because he was a younger guy and he was good on the mic and, you know, asked pertinent questions and wouldn't interrupt. He, he was good. Gene Oakland, of course, was the best. He was the master. Nobody, you know, nobody comes close to Gene as far as a, a ringside announcer. No. There are a few, don't get me wrong, but uh, uh, Larry Nelson was probably one of the best. Now, I got to ask, too, I mean, is this what AWA was where you got the uh, Mr. Electricity moniker? Am I correct? Am that I stepping correct. on the line? Yep. Yep. That was with, uh, when I won the light heavyweight champion from Buck. They called him Buck Rock and Roll Zoom Off. And I, I told Greg, I said, hey, I'm going to get, you know, some jackets and stuff like this. And I was sparkling and all that. I said, hey, why don't you call me Mr. Electricity? Said, oh, that's a good gig. You know, but then they started doing it with the announcers and all that. And the rest is history. But, you know, because I was. And Jimmy, he would walk out to a Sharp Dressed Man song, you know? I mean, it just, uh, you know, you try to find something that fits your persona and, you know, go with it. Because, you know, Steve Regal just by himself, well, who the hell is that? You know, <laughs> but uh, Mr. Electricity gets the uh, heads raised, you know? Mm-hmm. And I was speaking back to Jimmy, I'm like, man, did, did like, I mean, I don't know if they were too prevalent back in the day, but I swear Precious or somebody in AWA must have like a Costco pile of those old Glade cans. Old what? what Th those old, old what? cans of Glade, the old spray that Precious oh, used to yeah, got. Yeah, 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 yeah. That, and she had a little embroidered thing with sequins on, wrapped around the, the Glade can. It was it was pretty cool. Yeah. 
And, 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 okay, one more before we get our contact. I got to have one more here, Steve. Uh, as a kid, this is a prime time for me. Uh, I was at the prime age. I collected uh, and I got plenty for birthdays and all kinds of stuff because I was a wrestling fan. It's like, God, oh, give Glenn these old, you know, whatever wrestling related. Man, well, what did you think about getting yourself put in uh, action figure doll form? Because it was, uh, I remember buying this package. Remco put out the AWA guys, but I remember uh, the three pack getting it for Christmas with you jimmy and precious in the middle uh what was what was that like to see yourself in doll form and do you remember what do you remember first hearing about the ramco putting out these figures the first thing was people had come up to us every year every every month hey we're going to do this we're going to do that we're going to do we're going to make this and make that we said yeah right because nobody ever really did anything and we had no idea about that anyway the guys come and talk to us from remco we're going to take pictures of you make a doll say oh yeah yeah so they had to stand and do the pictures how much are we going to make they said, well, we signed for 10% of the royalties, okay? Not knowing that we could have gotten 25% because we didn't think they'd even put them in, out to the market. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. We figured they'd say, get them produced or say, oh, no, that ain't going to sell or whatever, test them, whatever. But they turned out to be, hell, I got royalties off those dolls for five or six years every month. It was incredible. It, it uh, kind of helped me. Uh, decided to quit wrestling too because I was getting pretty big checks there for a while. And then, you know, at the end of five, six years, they started dripping off. But people are still contacting me today. Hey, I got your doll. I got your doll. It was one of the best things that ever happened to us. Yeah, and, and one of the things too is, uh, you know, people who, you know, again, this collect. It was part of. Is this part of the collector's world that you see these things that are are, are in unopened packages? I mean, I saw a three that three pack with you guys going for two hundred dollars. That's what I'm saying. I, the last time I looked, I think they were getting 250 for them if they were brand new, you know, in the in the package. So, yeah, it, it's funny, man. You know, you look back and you say, geez, I wish I would have gone for more money. But, you know, you do what uh, what's uh, pr- appropriate at the time, you know. Such is life. Yeah, you got to keep it tasteful. Well, we're about ready to wrap up here, Steve. And I, I, I'm going to have to say we're definitely going to have to come back again because we only touched the AWA this hour. And we have so, there's so many good things in your career that we could get into and discuss on an upcoming edition. And this has been just so much fun just to go back and just talk about your time in the AWA. I'll be at just a portion of your time because you had multiple stints with with Vern off and on. But today I, I, I got to you know wrap up. But before we wrap up, uh you, you're very active on social media. Is there uh, ways for fans to, to connect with you or do you have uh, things that uh, f- for the fan that you'd like to uh, let out today before we pass? Sure. They can have my email address and it's Steve Regal, R-E-G-A-L, 825 at gmail.com. Well, Steve, it, uh, the time has uh, run out. The the, the the timekeeper has given me the eye. Uh, we've ran the Broadway. I, I, I Again, this is uh, going 50 minutes uh, in, in uh, Broadway, and it didn't involve sweating or uh, any sort of cardio. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> but definitely, seriously, would love to have you back on. It was a pleasure just to uh, chat with you just about this one small portion of your career. No problem. Call me back anytime, brother. Set it up, and I'll talk. I love talking about my business. As long as my mind's still straight, when I get Alzheimer's, I'll let you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much. For Mr. Electricity, Steve Regal, I'm Glenn Brockett. You've been listening to Wrestling Memories Then and Now.